Welcome everybody to Beat the Shift Baseball. This is episode 41 for Friday, September 28th. I'm Alex Uwe here today with Alex Rudy. How you doing, man? I am doing quite well, my friend. How about yourself? I'm good. I am I'm stoked, man. We are days away from postseason baseball. The season is winding down. One last hurrah, one final weekend series. And uh, it is a very meaningful weekend series in the National League especially. We're going to talk about all of that chaos in a little bit on today's podcast, as well as Bryce Harper's future, as well as Jacob deGrom capped off a magical season. We're going to talk about some of the teams that came up just a little bit short. We're also going to talk about some of the players that came up a lot a bit short. Biggest busts of 2018. We're going to keep it on a very negative note on this one, and we'll do a lot of... Uh, <laughs> of discussing of the rest of the season as as we get into the off season, and of course we'll be p- previewing the playoffs most likely next week right as that gets going so stick around for all of that um but yeah let's let's get right into it here let's talk jacob de grom who in many people's minds is the nl mvp and in what should be everybody's minds the nl cy young award winner he capped off an amazing season with an eight-inning, uh, eight-shutout-inning performance against the Braves and struck out 10, including his 1,000th career strikeout. This was on Wednesday this past week, and he won the game, which was amazing. But what's even more amazing, this is what we've been keeping track of all year. We've been keeping tabs. We've been keeping you up to date on it. Final tally for Jacob deGrom, 10.1 baseball reference wins above replacement. In 10 wins, he did it, man. He did it. I'm so proud of him. More wins above replacement than wins on the year. I cannot believe it. We've been talking about this since since June, since before, well before the halfway mark in the season because it was such a fluky thing to happen. And here we are at the end of September, and Jacob deGrom reached double-digit wins only two days ago. So how about that for consistency, anyway, from the Mets? Just, you know, bravo to them, you know, getting, getting Jacob deGrom this accomplishment done. Um, do you have anything to say about Jacob deGrom? There's so many more amazing <coughs> stats to throw out there. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think you covered the pretty well overall. I thought I would maybe compare him just real quick to Max Scherzer's season, who mm-hmm. I think in any usual year would be the consensus MVP. And Cy, well, he, I mean, Cy Young. Sorry, not MVP, yeah. Cy Young. Sorry, Cy Young in the NL. And yet, um, you know, when you break it down, um, DeGrom beats him dramatically in every category uh, and metric available except for strikeouts per nine, essentially, um, which... When you really think about it, which not to get too like ranty, but like in the end, if one pitcher is better at everything except for strikeouts, strikeouts is just a method of getting outs. And so in the end, like I, I don't even know how much a case that has. Though Scherzer did, uh, you know, set that uh, record with 300 strikeouts this season. I mean, I think what's even more alarming is maybe not alarming, but enlightening is that compared to Blake Snell, who's the AL Cy Young. Most likely this year, right? Would you say that's a fair 
consensus. Most people think Blake Snell's going to win the AL Cy Young. I would I mean, say he's a front runner for sure. Him um, or Kluber, maybe. There are, yeah, you know what? Blake Snell really did do a good job separating himself over the last month, even. Um, thinking now, I did, actually did not prepare to talk about the American All right, Cy Young. Big, I should... This is just a point of comparison. I'm just saying, compared to the yeah. AL Cy Young candidates, which are uh, Snell and every pitcher for the Cleveland Indians. I mean, the difference is staggering as well. And I think, um, you know, this is an era where I don't think there's a, like, um, there's not depth in terms of, like, elite pitching, but, like, the cream of the crop is so good because the inflated strikeout numbers. It's a very elitist generation of starting pitching talent. It's elitist. <laughs> and I think, well, because I think, like, five or ten years ago when, like, it was a lot of very good pitchers, but maybe not as many just this level of dominance. And I think, you know, DeGrom season is a truly prime Kershaw, you know, prime Hall of Fame level pitcher um, season that, you know, is pretty unbelievably impressive. I do wish, though, that he um, only had eight wins because then he would have more uh, fan graphs war than wins as well. So he would have had a war sweep if he oh, had only the wins. war sweep. Yeah, you know, and this is just until you know baseball reference revises or updates their wins above replacement formula like they do every year anyway. But uh yeah, it, it's incredible what he did this year. We didn't really I didn't even give the the full season line for DeGrom. He finished the season 10 and 9 with a 170 ERA, a .912 whip. 217 innings pitched, 269 strikeouts. Amazing all around. 28 out of 32 of his starts were quality starts. Of course, he had that streak going, which I bel- I don't even know the number that he reached in uh, consecutive starts of three earned runs or fewer. Um, it's up in the high 20s, though. It might be 28, actually. And um, 28 quality starts out of 32 is unbelievable for anybody. So... Uh, yeah, you know, you talked about how how elitist the cream of the crop is. Um, I, I don't know if that's how I'd describe it. Elite, maybe. not Maybe not elitist. Um, but yeah, Blake Snell really did have an impressive year on the AL side of things. But then, you know, you also have pitchers like Justin Verlander. Um, you know, Garrett Cole, like you mentioned, on the Indians. Of course, Corey Kluber and, and company are always in that conversation as well. Um, a lot of, you know, really good surprising pitchers and even on the National League side you talked about Max Scherzer but then you also have Aaron Nola who really did have a Cy Young caliber type of season and um yeah there's not you know too much more to be said about that it is it is really good at the the top end of things we're going to be seeing a lot of these pitchers in the playoffs which is always the the best matchups to see out there and I think it's worth mentioning oh and by the way I feel really dumb now but did not say Chris Sale's name, and that is definitely a name that needed to be said this year um, for the Cy Young conversation right up there with Blake Snell. Just a little bit less uh, quantity, but in terms of dominance, Chris Sale was right there as well. Um, yeah, but, you know, we're ready for the best playoff matchups, and that was withholding names such as Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, you know, names that you, you're used to seeing there every single year that aren't even entering the conversation. Um, 
for the Cy Young this year. And uh, I, I think we've uh, we've covered Jacob Degrom enough at this point. Maybe maybe one more fun fact. How about I love the Jacob Degrom fun facts, but uh, this one I, I actually did see on Reddit is that if Aaron Nola at this point in the season, like I said, Cy Young caliber season, um, if he threw ninety more scoreless innings this season, his ERA would still not be as low as Jacob Degrom's is this year. And Aaron, it's Aaron Nola. It's not a, it's no scrub pitcher. Aaron Nola is the second, is the second in the National League in ERA with a two forty five ERA. So he would have to throw more, more innings than nine complete game shutouts to surpass Jacob Degrom in ERA this year. Nice. Yeah, that's a fun one. I like that one. I figured it would be worth mentioning. So. Yeah, Jacob deGrom should win the Cy Young and the MVP while we're at it. How about that? Christian Yelich is insane too. I don't know. There's so there's so much more to talk about. Maybe we'll we'll dive into awards another time in in more depth. Let's talk about the wild card race in the National League though. In in fact, the division races in the West and the Central, they're so intertwined at this point. This is what I love about this time of year is just being all for Team Chaos and wanting to see the craziest playoff scenarios that can possibly happen. So as of right now, Colorado Rockies hold a one-game advantage over the Dodgers in, in the West. The Cubs hold a one-game advantage over the Brewers in the Central. So, you know, West and Central are still up for grabs going into the last series of this season. And then trailing right behind in the central is the Cardinals at 87 wins. And that is, you know, one, that's one game behind the Dodgers, essentially. So there is a scenario where there's multiple game 163s that have to be played. Or I guess it, it would be a game 164 at this point. Um, I, I cannot even begin to try... To describe this in words um, to its completion but essentially chaos just just think yeah chaos just think of you know the first like think of a division tiebreaker scenario in which you play for the division and then the loser has to play for the wild card spot and then the the winner of that wild card spot has to play in the wild card game the very next day. The National League wild card game is on Tuesday, or I think it would be pushed to Wednesday if that were to happen. But you know what I mean. It's it's uh, a lot it's of consecutive games if that were to happen, and I'd love to see it happen. It's it's certainly possible. So, what's your I, take on, on the, the most National amazing League? thing about this is that. The Rockies could win their division with only a plus 33 run differential while being 20 games, potentially 20 games over 500. I really am curious what would be like the lowest run differential to ratio to games over 500 to ever win a division because I would have to think that's up there. That's like not good. Like that's, that is a. That seems like a difficult ratio to look up. I mean, I'm, I'm sure like I'd have to send it to like. Um, some other podcast that has or the Elias Sports Bureau at this point, yeah, yeah, something like that. I'm sure, like, 
uh, effectively wild would love that question. But it's just kind of interesting when you look. I know it's a very specific stat to focus on, but just, I mean, the Rays, for example, have plus 65 in the AL, and they're eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, I just think the the, the Diamondbacks have plus 50, and yeah. they're only three games over 500. So this Rockies team, and I guess Coors Field does inflate those numbers probably to a degree, but, I mean, could they be, you know... I mean, how good is that team? Is that is, do you think which, which team do you think in this discussion? I guess is like the, um, uh, like you know, is the fake team? You know, the team that really shouldn't you know be here, and in the end, you think it's going to be the one that's eliminated. I do want to say it's the Cardinals, and they don't hold a spot as of right now, so I guess they wouldn't be eliminated per se. Um, but you know, they're well, still they, in the from playoff contention. No, 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 not they're. Well, yeah, they haven't been eliminated from playoff contention, but they don't hold a, a spot currently, so they're not being like pushed aside right now. You know, um, I I would say the Rockies are the closest thing to that, uh, but I yeah, that's not to say that they're not an incredibly dangerous team if you run into them because their lineup is pretty potent with you know the middle of their order anyway, um, and then also at least their top two in uh, Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland have been very good this year. And then, you know, John Gray has his moments. So there is a lot to like for the prospects of Rocktober, as Rockies Ooh, fans so- call it. It's not mine. That's that's a, definitely a Rockies fan thing. But I just wanted to share also my favorite part about this entire scenario is the union and hatred of the LA Dodgers. It's amazing. Everybody in the NL West wants the Dodgers to lose the division, miss out on the playoffs if that's possible for them to do. And it's it's so funny because they just finished a series against the Diamondbacks, where I believe the Diamondbacks took two games uh, against the Dodgers, and the Rockies just had an incredible four-game series against the Phillies. And you talked about run differential. It, it, considering where they are now, I think they outscored the Rockies, or the Rockies outscored the Phillies uh, by like thirty to forty runs, which is ridiculous. So, so they had like negative run differential then going into, <laughs> it, which is which is why I was surprised by your stat. But it's it's hilarious to see Diamondbacks fans. You know they're they're saying, all right, we're, we took care of business for you guys. Like go go get them, Rockies. Like like get get this thing done. Win your games. And the the uh, the Dodgers and Giants square off this weekend, so every, everybody that's not a Dodgers fan is rooting for the Giants to take it to the Dodgers this weekend, and it's it's just the most refreshing thing to see. It's 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 it feels almost like collusion in a sense, just because all the support is so against, you know the they're the Dodgers are the the payroll powerhouse in the National League. You know they're the Yankees of the National League. And people just love the idea of them missing the playoffs for some reason. I mean, they have the same record as the Rays. We keep talking about the Rays, um, who have been eliminated for a while. But, you know, it, it's just something we keep coming back to is yeah, how, are the Dodgers, how are the Dodgers at 88 wins right now, considering the resources they have and considering the roster they have? It's, uh, it's really something, man. So... I will be watching a lot of baseball this weekend, or trying to anyway, because I still have to to watch in the middle of the night for most 
for most cases over here. But I, you can guarantee that I will be up at 2 in the morning to watch the wildcard games when those come around next week. So, so it's going to be cray. Yeah. So I, I want this to be the best, oh, so best wildcard so games ever. This season. I know. It Can't really wait. is. It really is I, crazy. The, the one thing I guess, I guess my issue, and this is my last time we can move on mm-hmm. with the whole NL wild card, the whole NL race in general, is that when I look at these teams and just their performance, and I look to the AL, there's just such a stark contrast in just statistical success this season that. It just seems like it feels really feels like the like the MLB has entered like it's into a phase very similar to the NBA where you know one side, one conference quote unquote is just so much more dominant than the other. It's so lopsided. Me, <laughs> like it teams it teams how much interest or excitement I can ever have because I just don't feel like any of these teams deserve to win the World Series compared <laughs> to compared to Houston or Boston as much as it pains me to say it. Or honestly, even the Yankees. I think not to get. I know I'm like ranting way too much off topic, but my last thought is, this Yankees team is probably the worst potentially 100 win team I've ever witnessed, and like yet, you know, it, the the difference between that, you know, and the Rockies is is it, that's a huge difference. Yeah, it can't be just ignored, and I just think, uh, you know. I don't know, man. It, it it feels a little weird to have like one league just feel so much more dominant than me. I don't. I I just I very like. Uh, it doesn't resonate with me well because it just feels like one. You know, it just doesn't feel fair then to the teams that get eliminated in the AL. I guess. Um, though I will admit the Dodgers' run differential, not to say run differential, is the all in all statistic is excellent. So their record is a lot worse than I would say they're like. Pythagorean productions would yeah. show. Well, it's because their bullpen was atrocious this year, and they coughed up so many games that they could have won. But also, you know, I this is not only you here that believes this. I've been ranting about this for weeks and months now, that the American League is just so much better at the top end of things than the National League. It's so lopsided. And we're sitting here talking about how the American League or the teams that we care about in the American League are so much better. And then we look at this, or I look at this, and I... And I say, well, how about that? The National League has broken a 16-year streak in terms of interleague play. They, they won the interleague play record this year against the American League, which is something well, that you wouldn't think, right? Well, but this well, is the first no, time in 16 years that I, well, the National League has done that. This well, year. I would think it just because this specific season – the AL Central is a, just an embarrassment to the sport, and the NL just has many more. Just has it has a lot more depth in terms of competitive teams. That's fair. So that's a good point. The AL is much more lopsided. Yeah. But I mean, I'll be, do you know how many games they won it by? I'm just curious. Um, they clinched I mean, it a, a was, couple weeks ago, I believe. I, I think it was almost a ten game differential. Well, it may, might have been more. Might have been more. So that, that does kind of contradict what I was arguing about. Those 16 years also supports it significantly, since in the grand scheme of baseball, one out of 16 years, I think, can be considered just a fluke, in all honesty. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but that's that's the deal going forward. If you weren't aware of 
this uh, this playoff craziness than you are now. So watch watch the, watch the postseason this year. Watch it every year. It's always it's always amazing. That's all I can say about that. Uh, we're gonna talk about Bryce Harper now because he has potentially played his last home game in Washington D.C. and we have no idea what he's thinking or what the Nationals are thinking. But the way it, the way you'd look at it from a from a rational standpoint is that the Nationals maybe won't be so inclined to bring him back for a potentially record-breaking type of contract because you know the Nationals have a lot of good young talent including controllable young outfielders um in Victor Robles, Juan Soto, and Adam Eaton, who's actually under team control for, I believe, three more full seasons. So, you know, there's a lot of decisions to be made on the national side of things. But, you know, with Bryce Harper, it really is the end of an era. You can say what you want about the guy. He is one of the best nationals in the young team history. And he really did have one of the most dominant offensive seasons ever in 2016, I believe it was. So, and, and let's not forget, we, we keep talking about his age, but he really is not even in the prime of his career age-wise. You know, he, he in, by most accounts, would be considered a young player even today. You know, it's, it's really impressive uh, when you see cases like that. He's 25 years old right now. So, you know, that's we've talked about it for so long. Bryce Harper, is he overrated? Is he underrated? Uh, in terms of, you know, contract value, we've talked about the $400 million talk. Um, don't know if that's going to happen. But, you know, do you have anything that you want to add about Bryce Harper's tenure with the Nationals? Or do you have any anything bold to say about what's what he's going to be looking at this offseason? I mean, I think, first of all, his season this year is pretty underrated. He's still going to have a 900 OPS, basically, <clears throat> with 35 home runs, 12 stolen bases, over 100 runs, over 100 RBIs. Like, yes, the average is lacking, but if it was just like any other player, would people really criticize it that much? I mean, it's not a bad season. Okay, maybe it's not, you know, what he did last year in terms of getting, you know, uh, production or, you know, that 2015 year, but it's not like it's you know, Chris Davis. So that's like a really weird thing. I think if he wasn't such a douchebag, people would treat him, you know, with a lot more, you know, benefit down in terms of performance. But uh, I think he's 100% gone. Um, where he goes is going to be really interesting. I've heard a lot of people tell me the Cubs, they think that he's going to go to. So that'd be, that'd be something. The Phillies, I think, would make a lot of sense, even though that's interdivision. Um Play first base for the Yankees, I guess, is always a possibility. <laughs> uh, you know, it should be it should be interesting. I do not think he'll get the three hundred million dollar contract though that he. Uh, you don't wanted. think he'll even get a three hundred million dollar contract? He was he was talking about a four hundred million dollar contract uh, in the last off season. I mean, do you think he's worth three hundred million dollars? He's twenty five years old right now, and you, like you said, he did not have a bad season. He clearly has the capability to do what he did in 2015. I misspoke earlier. I think I said 2016. 2015 season where, you know, the man had a 460 on base percentage and a 649 slugging. The talent is clearly there. 
And, you know, a lot of the tools really haven't dissipated. That was just a season where everything fired in all cylinders. But this is a guy who's going to be entering his prime starting this contract. This is not a case like Jason Hayward, where it was a one-off year. He's, he's consistently shown his ability to, you know, put up the kinds of numbers that he'll put up. And this is, you know, this is kind of a baseline almost, you know. He, he's got an 886 OPS this, this year. And when you're looking at a relatively quiet year for Bryce Harper, who had some batted ball misfortune, hit 244 on the year. Same kind of thing in 2016 even, actually. Um, but consistently gets on base a lot, hits for power, and, you know, is just, you know, he's a superstar in, in other aspects of the game as well. You know, not even just what he's able to do on the field. I think there's something to be said for that. So, you know, I can see 300 million happening, especially considering his age. So, yeah, not not ruling that out at all. So, fair enough. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Well, okay, one thing that I did forget to mention when we were talking playoffs is that the Mariners once again missed out on a playoff spot. Is where, that where, is that news where? or is that non-news? I think that's it's news because it's, it's this year. They're extending a streak that is one they can hold proudly until, you know, at the earliest next year anyway is the longest playoff drought in American sports at the moment in any sport. So, you know, Mariners, you had a really good year. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of in terms of the season that they had. It was really magical. The year of one-run wins for the Mariners, Edwin Diaz was in the hunt for setting the saves record for a while there. So... You know, there's a lot to like. It, this isn't one of the sad Mariners missing the playoffs years. This is just like, what the heck are the the A's this year? What are, what are the Astros? The Astros are just completely unfair. It's just one of those situations. So we'll see what they're able to muster up for next year. Why are the A's? Why are the A's? Why are the A's? Um, let's, let's go ahead and uh, move on to our last segment for today's podcast. And we're going to go through some of the 2018 busts. There are a lot, of course. Um, we've got about three each that we'll mention. So why don't you go ahead and start off with, you know, perhaps the biggest bust of the season. And it wasn't just a bust. It was one of the worst seasons of all time, really, when you look at it. So who you got? We got Chris Davis, not the one with the K, but the one with the C. Important distinction to make in regards to bustness. And he somehow had a worse season than he did last year, which I did not really expect to be possible. And when you take away, you know, three of his last four seasons, um, they're, you know, this is looking at maybe the worst contract in baseball history. Would you say that's, would you say that's, uh, that's fair, possibly. It is I mean, looking like it right now. If let's let's uh, refresh everybody's memories here. He signed a seven-year, one hundred sixty-one million dollar contract, uh, entering the twenty sixteen season, I believe it was. So, what would this this would be year three of that contract? And yeah, he put up an you know an ever impressive negative two point eight wins above replacement this year, with a slash line of. Hold on, I, ha- I do have it here. A slash line of 168, 243 on base, and a 296 slugging percentage. This man 
who is one of the most notorious power hitters in baseball, who hit 53 home runs in 2013, hit 47 in 2015, slugged under 300. And he actually, I think he's, I saw he was the first player to hit 15 plus homers and slug under 300. So that's pretty impressive right there. Yeah. It was, it, it truly is one of the worst seasons of all time. This is not just an opinion. That's just what the numbers would dictate. And the, the actual performance is pretty on par with the numbers. So there you go. I actually do want to look up because I know Chris Davis is the king of striking out looking. And I do want to look up if I can and find that. I, I won't slow down the, uh, the podcast right now. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you back in, though, if I do find that as we move along here. Okay. All right. So let's, well, get to the, uh, let's get to the leader in strikeouts in all of baseball this season, actually. It's, it's quite an accomplishment for such a young player with so much upside. Um, you know, maybe next year he, he can strike out even more. And that would be Yohan Moncada of the White Sox, who, of course, the highly touted Red Sox, then White Sox prospect, I believe was number one um, on many lists entering last, last year, I believe, was when he was um, still, you know, prospect eligible. Uh, so this year was supposed to be a year he'd already had, you know, a good chunk of time in and he was ready to get the ball rolling, really talented player and showed up with 214 strikeouts this season played in 146 games and you know, hit 17 homers stole 12 bases that's all cool but you know when you're hitting 230 with a 311 on base and a 393 slugging you are a bust sir that is that is kind of how it works uh, especially considering how much hype was surrounding him you know it's, it is a lot of a lot to do with the expectations surrounding these players. So, Yohan Moncada, welcome to the bust list. Um, the next player that you're going to talk about here is a perennial bust candidate, it seems. And he really uh, came through again this year. Byron Buxton. Woo! Yeah! Our favorite. My favorite uh, player of all time, I think. I think this is his worst season so far, actually. Um, he spent most of the year in AAA. And hit a whopping 153. So, uh, yeah. Is there, is there more to say about that, really? So much for being a number one overall prospect. I uh, kind of feel bad for cursing him. Also, long ago, when I predicted him to be a bust. But, you know, it looks like uh, Buxton is doomed to fail, unfortunately, as uh, living up to his hype. Yeah, it's really not a good thing when you have to work your way up to being a Billy Hamilton-level player because he's not there right now, and that's concerning. I own Byron Buxton in, in a Dynasty Fantasy Baseball League forever, and he's ripped my heart out year and year again. So now, I, and now I've learned to laugh about it. You know, that's the good thing. So, yeah, Byron Buxton, welcome back. How about his teammate? How about Miguel Sano? Did not have a fun year, uh, you know, off the field in terms of media stuff or on the field in terms of performance. That is, those, those are two big reasons why the Twins did not go anywhere this year after, uh, after making it to the wildcard game last year. So, you know, it, it just doesn't work out all the time. But Miguel Sano, yeah, really didn't do anything and was 
you know, expected to be a, a good power-hitting third baseman for the Twins. So clearly didn't happen. All right, let's <laughs> get to a couple pitchers to wrap things up here. Actually, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one, this first one here. This was one of take the uh, the more talked about pitcher signings in the offseason. One of the earlier ones, I believe, too, and that would be Tyler Chatwood signing with the Cubs. And Tyler Chatwood was interesting because he did have a good 2017 with the Rockies, especially on the road. And that's always intriguing when you have a Coors Field pitcher leaving Coors Field. So we had high hopes for Tyler Chatwood, or a lot of people did. Cubs fans, I'm sure, expected him to be good. Maybe not fantastic, but, you know, good. And uh, Tyler Chatwood really answered the call in many ways in terms of just being really impressive. I am I'm so impressed by the fact that he made it through the season leading the league in walks. 95 walks to 85 strikeouts. What a ratio. That that is truly impressive. The seven hit by pitches thrown in there too. So let's let's say over a hundred free passes uh, to eighty five strikeouts. And he did start a good percentage of the season. He started twenty games out of his twenty four appearances for the Cubs, and he walked. Or so I'm combining walks and hit by pitches here. Hundred two free passes in a hundred three and two thirds innings. You know what that's good for? That's good for a 1.804 whip. So, you know, that is uh, is really impressive numbers in the direction that leans towards a bust, of course. So, Tyler Chatwood does have uh, two more years on his contract. So, we'll see what happens with him. If he will actually remain a major league pitcher or, you know, even remain a major league starting pitcher at all so just wanted to shout out Tyler Chatwood because I do remember talking about him a lot and I I was intrigued and now I'm even more intrigued really so good job sir on making things really interesting and uh let's let's talk let's throw one more pitcher out there who really did not have a good year yes uh Luke Skywalker Weaver um was probably going to the season widely considered to have potential to be one of the up-and-coming pitching stars, um, you know, kind of the heir, uh, heir to, you know, uh, the Cardinals dynasty of great pitching talent, homegrown pitching talent that they, uh, you know, continuously produced together with Martinez. And yet um, he had a pretty horrible season uh, with a 495 ERA, you know, 4.45 whip, Seven, you know, only eight strikeouts per inning is just not going to cut it in today's day and age. Three, three and a half walks to go with it, you know, uh, home run per nine. Um, he he was a little unlucky, I would suppose. You could argue with his left on base percentages and uh, batting ball and play percentages. But, I mean, did not take the step forward that I think most people projected. And... Um, you know, he was never a guy who was that unbelievably touted, I would say. I mean, he was a first-round draft pick, and he was, like a, like, a high prospect. But I don't think I've ever read, you know, oh, Luke Weaver is the next Lucas Giolito. <laughs> well, that's, that's a very loaded statement right there. Uh, 
I intentionally, intentionally. Uh, but, you know, I still think there's hope for him. I don't think he's hopeless by any means. He's only 25. So the sophomore slump is very common, um, you know, for pitchers especially. But, you know, it's a real crossroads for him to either go the route of Sonny Gray and Shelby Miller or, you know, the route of maybe like a Max Scherzer. Um, not that he can, I'm not going to say he can do the next Max <laughs> Scherzer, a, but, you know. It's about the biggest guy, range guy, of pitchers you could possibly think of. Well, just so. Max Scherzer is an example of a guy who had struggles early in his career and rebounded and really improved going forward. So um, that's my take. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Lucas Giolito. The the leader in earn runs allowed, in runs allowed this year overall in baseball. So great job, Lucas Giolito, to you as well, speaking of top prospects. So that is the 2018 busts. Uh, we got the, uh, you know, the depressing stuff out of the way on this podcast, but there is going to be lots more to come. Only one weekend series left of the regular season. Enjoy it. Drink it in. Watch David Wright take the field for the Mets Saturday night. It's going to be great. And watch a lot of postseason baseball. Make sure you listen next week when we preview the playoffs once we got all of that locked in. And, you know, there's other stuff to be on the lookout for as well. Um, You know, we'll do some fantasy baseball recap stuff as well as uh, awards recaps. uh, Anything you can imagine, it will be coming up even though the, uh, the regular season is over. So it was certainly an entertaining one. And, you know, I'm glad we got to, to podcast all throughout. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you enjoyed, make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. And make sure you check out our website, beattheshiftbaseball.com. That is the place to see all our podcasts and anything else that we've got. So beattheshiftbaseball.com. And uh, follow us on social media at beattheshiftbp. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, uh, you know, get in touch with us. Ask us questions. You know, we'll, we love to talk baseball. So, yeah, that is it for today. Thank you, everybody, once again. As always, Rudy. Peace. Peace.